I'm Donica Contour, and this is Naptime Devotionals, Episode 18, The Worth of Souls is Great, Studying Doctrine and Covenants, Sections 18 and 19. Welcome to Naptime Devotionals, a come-follow-me study for busy moms. I'm Donica Contour, your host. I'm a mom of four kids, wife of a high school theater teacher, and my favorite show to binge watch is Murder, She Wrote. Okay, so I had a lot of like aha moments um, while studying this week and we're going to just jump into it because I'm kind of really excited and I feel like I have a lot to say and I still want to keep this either 20 minutes or under. So that's the goal. It's always the goal because we're moms and we're busy and we have 500 things going on all at the same time. Um, Like I'm making yogurt right now. Isn't that cool? Yes, it's very cool. Okay, so opposition in all things. This is what I kind of want to start with. We're talking about the nature of God in Christ, right? Um, The scriptures that kind of go along with this are Doctrine and Covenants section 19, verses 10 through 13, and 15 through 18, and then also Alma 7, 11 through 12. Okay, so um, I've often heard people say that if God loves us so much, he wouldn't damn us. There'd be no hell. There'd be no prison. There'd be, there'd be no bad stuff, right? It would just be love and rainbows and butterflies. Um, but you know, everybody just be saved in the end. You wouldn't have to do anything to get to heaven. He would just like, if he just, if he really just loved us, we would just get there, right? We wouldn't have to actually do anything to earn it. Um, but I feel like the opposite is true. So we know that opposition in all things is an eternal principle, right? This is something that exists. This is a law of physics, a law of the world, a law of God. This is a law that he is bound by as much as we are. Okay. So God loves us so much that he wants to give us endless and eternal life. But in order to do that, endless and eternal death, endless and eternal punishment must also be an option. Okay. Um, it has to be on the table in order to offer us one. The other one must also be on the table and he doesn't want us to go there, right? He doesn't want us to suffer an endless punishment. And so he did everything he could to prevent us from ending up there, right? He gave us a savior. He gave us prophets to tell us about the savior. He gave us a gospel. He gave us the Holy ghost to guide us. He gave us the scriptures as like a literal, like, here's what you do. Um, it's an open book test, you guys. And he's given us everything we need to pass. But the biggest thing that stands in our way is us. We are the ones that stand in our own ways. Um, Everything, everything Heavenly Father does is to save us. But we still have to choose it, right? Ultimately, it all comes down to us and it comes down to our choice. Um, I want to read one of the talks. Actually, I think it's the only talk that I read for this one. It's Repentance, A Joyful Choice by Dale G. Renlin from October 2016 General Conference. Um, 
and he says, God does love us. However, what we do matters to him and to us. He has given clear directives about how we should behave. We call these commandments. His approbation and our eternal life depend on our behavior, including our willingness to humbly seek real repentance. Um, and I feel like this is, this is the point, right? Like, this was my biggest aha moment, was just recognizing that in order for God to offer us the most incredible things, the most awful things also exist and also are there for us to choose. And it's so interesting to me because I feel like most people would be like, well, why would I choose that? Why would I choose eternal punishment? Why would I choose to be eternally damned or, you know, whatever, like, however you want to perceive that, however you want to interpret or, um, not interpret, but like, however you want to articulate that, why would I choose that when the opposite is available to me? And it's because Satan makes it look so good. He makes it look so enticing, right? Like that's, that's the point of temptation. It's supposed to look good. It's supposed to look fun. It's supposed to be enticing. Otherwise it's not a temptation. I think I talked about this, a podcast or an episode or two ago where I talked about like, I'm not tempted by broccoli. I'm not, I have no temptation to be like, Ooh, eat the broccoli. I, I have like, I like broccoli. Okay. But if you give me a double chocolate chip cookie, mm, that's going to be a temptation. And then tell me I can't eat it. That's going to be a temptation. That's going to be hard for me. Um, another thing I wanted to note is in chapter, so in Doctrine and Covenants section 19, verses 15 through 18, this is Christ, and I think this is so, like, I'm just going to read this because I feel like he does a better job than I could. Therefore, I command you to repent, repent, lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth and by the, my wrath. And by my anger and your sufferings be sore. How sore you know not. How exquisite you know not. Yea, how hard to bear you know not. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of the pain, and to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit, and I would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Like, not only is Heavenly Father doing everything he can to make sure that we get back to him, and he's risking us, so to speak, in that he's offering us this incredible opportunity to live with him and become like him, but he's risking that he, he's offering that and risking that we don't. Right. And we have to deal with the, the opposite, but he also, we also have Christ who's, I don't know how else to describe it in these verses, but to say that he's begging us to repent because he knows, he knows a hundred percent 
what the fullness of our pain is like, what the fullness of our consequences are like. I think about all the people that have made choices, including myself, that have eternal ramifications that I'm not aware of. And if we don't try and repent, and if we don't try and make those things better, if we don't repent, then we are subject to the fullness of those consequences, the fullness of that pain, the fullness of that hurt. Um, and he's begging us, please repent because you think you know what pain you're in for. You think you know what consequences you stand to face. And I promise you, I did it and you don't. You don't know. And I am telling you, it is hard. It is painful. Like it caused him who he had to be part God in order to go through what he did. And he, he didn't want to do it because it was that hard and that heavy and that painful, but he still did it because it was necessary for us to make it back. And because he loves us that much, right? Another one of the scriptures that they, um, the come follow me recommended was John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And essentially that is what Christ did. Um, Okay, um, the next thing I want to talk about is section 19, verse 22. And I feel like in addition to, in addition to Heavenly Father and Christ wanting us to be back, they're also very aware of our human nature and they try to protect us from ourselves. Um, I feel like it's a very natural man thing to ask for more than we can handle. And I think its root is in pride, if I'm honest. Um, and the nature of Christ is to protect us, right? He gives us milk because that's what we are capable of accepting, even though we're asking for meat. And he tells us, you're not going to get the meat because if I give it to you right now, you'll choke on it, right? It's my, it's my kids as they grow up. Um, my son Edmund. He's my third kiddo. He's two years old. He loves carrots, but he can't have a raw carrot because his teeth aren't there yet. He can't, he doesn't chew enough to the point where he can eat a carrot without choking on it. Um, and every now and then he manages to snag one and every single time he chokes on it because he's not there yet yet. He's there. He's going to be there soon, but he's not there yet. He still needs to have his carrots. He wants carrots. He needs to have them either steamed or in soup or something where they're softer and he can eat them to his heart's delight, but he needs them softer. He can't handle how hard that is yet. And I feel like it's the same thing where we aren't at a position where we can digest more than just milk. Um, and Christ tries to protect us, even though we're like, no, I want more. I want more. And he's like, you can't handle more. <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Um, and then one of the come follow me questions that I really loved for this particular section of, you know, what is the nature of God? What is the nature of Christ? It asks, if someone asked you what the voice of the Lord is like, what would you say? Uh, my first impression was Morgan Freeman does not what everybody says. Um, <laughs> but I think it would be, I think the voice of the Lord is going to be very calming and soothing 
and it kind of reminds me of um, in Little Women, there is uh, Mr. Lawrence, right? He lives next door and the girls are initially kind of scared of him. He's like this gruff old dude, but he's actually very sweet. Um, and he takes this moment and um, when Joe very first meets him and she thinks Lori, his um, nephew or his um, grandson, he thinks Lori has, she thinks Lori's walked back into the room and it, and so she's commenting on the picture of Mr. Lawrence and saying how he's not quite as good looking as her grandfather, um, but he has very kind eyes and she thinks, you know, this and that and the other about him. And he's like, oh, really? And she's like, oh, crap, right? And she realizes who she, she's been commenting on the character of this man based on a picture that she's looking at to the man not knowing this. And he very he's very gentle with her. Um, and I feel like that's what Heavenly Father and that's what Christ are like, where they're, they're gentle with us and they're amused by us, but in a loving kind of way, not in a condescending kind of way, if that makes sense. Um, and at the end of it all, they're rooting for us. They want us to succeed um, because no parent wants their kid to fail, right? We don't want our kids to fail. We want them to succeed at things that they want to do and that we want them to do. Um, but sometimes one of the hardest parts of parenting is knowing that we do have to watch our kids fail. Okay, so plan of salvation. Um, Doctrine and Covenants, section 18, verses 2 and 3. The Holy Ghost is necessary. He's a very vital part of the plan of happiness. Um, my husband and I were just talking about this the other day where God didn't sit down and like figure out what's the hardest way to get to, you know, for people to get back to live with me. I'm going to make it as hard as possible so only five people can do it. Um, and then I'm going to call it, I'm going to make it as impossible as I can, and I'm going to call it the plan of happiness. Like, that does not mesh with what I know about Heavenly Father. And his plan is to get us home. And so he made it as, he did the things that were necessary so that we can become like him. So we are going to have to go through trials. We are going to have to go through hard things. But he also gave us help every step of the way. And the Holy Ghost is one of these helps, um, which is why we've been commanded to be baptized and commanded to follow the, the commandments so we can have access to the Holy Ghost and have that guidance with us all the time. Um, section 18, verse 18 and verses 42 and 43 echo this same concept. Um, verse 19 of section 18 um, adds that if you have not faith, hope, and charity, you can do nothing. Um, we were watching Little Princess the other day, and the way Miss Minchin says, tells Sarah after her father, after the news that her father has died comes, um, she tells her that she's going to keep her out of charity. The way she says charity, she like spits it at her. And I remember thinking like, that's not what that is. Like you, you think that you're, what you're doing is charity and it's not because charity is the pure love of Christ. You can't do charity. You can't give charity. You can't be charitable. You can't give charity from a begrudging place. It doesn't work like that. Um, it's better that you just don't do anything at all. It would have been much better for her if she just threw poor little Sarah out into the snow um, than to give her that grudging charity. Um, and so I was thinking, okay, so... 
faith, hope, charity, right? So it's faith in Christ, hope in Christ. For me, those things together translate to trusting in Christ. I have to trust that Christ can handle my everything, right? He can carry that, um, that he can, um, he actually, there was a quotation here that was really good. And I think I'm going to read it. I wasn't going to, but now I think it's going to talk about it better than I can. Okay. Real repentance. So this is repentance, a joyful little choice, right? Um, from Elder Renlund. Real repentance must involve faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith that he can change us, faith that, faith that he can forgive us, and faith that he will help us avoid more mistakes. This kind of faith makes his atonement effective in our lives. And it's that exact thing. It's the trust that he can do all of the things he says he can do, because as humans, I feel like we have a level of control that we need. And when we're asked to give that up, it scares us because then we're out of control and giving it to Christ is the best way. And then charity is the love of Christ, right? Um, and then the other necessary part of the plan is repentance. Um, and I'm going to go back to this talk by Elder Renland because there's just two quotes there that I think just sum it up perfectly. So the first one he says, the Christian writer C.S. Lewis wrote about the need and method for change. He noted that repentance involves being put back on the right road. A wrong sum can be put right, he said, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point on. Never, or from that point, never by simply going on. You have to go back to where the mistake was made and then move on making a new road. You can't just keep going down the wrong road, hoping that you'll eventually find the right road, right? And then here's the second one, and I couldn't resist because, you know, Shakespeare. Instead of making excuses, let us choose repentance. Through repentance, we can come to ourselves like the prodigal and in the, um, like the prodigal in the parable and reflect on the eternal importance of our actions. When we understand how our sins can affect our eternal happiness, we not only become truly penitent, but we also strive to become better. When we are faced with temptation, we are more likely to ask ourselves in the words of William Shakespeare, What win I if I gain the thing I seek? A dream, a breath, a froth of fleeting joy, who buys a minute, a minute's mirth to get to wail a week, or sells eternity to get a toy. And I think when we put our choices into an eternal perspective, it helps us walk away from those temptations, right? It helps us look at eternity and go, I don't need the toy. And on the occasions that we make the mistakes and we choose the toy, that's what the purpose of the atonement is. It's there to help us get back, go back, and make choices anew, start afresh, right? Um, the last thing I want to talk about is our application, right? Um, I'm just going to end reading Doctrine and Covenants section 19, verse 23. It says, Learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit and you shall have peace in me. I think ultimately it comes down to knowing Christ. We have to know Christ because when we know him, we can trust him. And when we trust him, we can love as he does. And we can make those eternal choices in a way 
that we won't regret. And I will talk to you next week.